Big news, my new book, Motivation for Regular People, Reframing Your Drive to Pursue Your Goals and Achieve Your Potential, is now available for purchase on Amazon. Earlier this year, I realized that we've had the wrong approach to motivation for far too long. We tend to believe motivation is something that some people have and others don't. That's a great place to be if you have a lot of natural motivation, but if you're the type of person who always feels like you're just not that motivated, it can be discouraging and debilitating. The reality is we all have the same amount of motivation because everything we do requires motivation. And when you become aware of how motivation actually works and how you can adjust your motivation to help you reach your goals, you'll become unstoppable. This fresh perspective is what led me to start this podcast, and it's the exact concept I unpack in detail in my new book. Grab a copy and join me on a journey to discover how motivation actually works, learn what truly motivates you, and discover how you can align your motivation in a way that helps you reach your potential and accomplish every goal. You'll find the Amazon link for the book in the show notes, or you can visit my website at bradyross.com to learn more about it. That's B-R-A-D-Y-R-O-S-S dot com. Hello and welcome to the Motivation for Regular People podcast, where you'll find all the inspiration you need to start, continue, and finish the goals that matter most to you. We are cutting right to the chase today because I have a guest who I am very excited for you to hear from. We're talking with Jen Drummond today. Jen is not only a mother of seven children, but she's also a successful business owner, a world record holder, and the author of a new book coming out in January that we'll talk more about later in the show. We've got Jen on right now. Jen, how are you today? Good. How are you? Thanks for having me. Yes. I'm so excited for this conversation. So I know you've got a lot in your story that I want to cover today. It seems like really the the chapter that you're in right now began in 2018 with a major car accident that you were in. So take us through what happened there. Yeah, no, I was driving home um, from a nearby town and collided with a semi, not a good thing to collide with. So it sent my car rotating three times end over end, and then a whole bunch of sideways rolls. And lucky for me, I survived. Nobody was injured in the accident. That's amazing. Yes, very amazing. But definitely a line in the sand, right? Like life before the accident, I was hustler, driver, go, 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 double down, make it happen. And then after the accident, I was like, man, if I would have died... There's a lot of things I didn't do yet. There's a lot of fun I wanted to have or things I wanted to see or do. So it definitely changed the trajectory of my life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so interesting. So it, it sounds to me like there was almost a value shift when the accident happened because it wasn't like yes. before you weren't doing anything. You said you were a hustler. You were very driven. But maybe after the accident, you were you were more motivated to do different things than what you were doing before. Yeah, I think I redefined what success meant. Um, before the accident, success was definitely the financial success that we all measure, right? The nice cars, the big house, the fancy vacations. And then after the accident, it was like, I don't even, I mean, it's nice to have those things, but I'm more worried about experiences and being able to explore the world and just be a student forever, right? Like there's no mastery. It's just fun to be alive and try all these different things that the world has to offer. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I looked through your website earlier and I know the language that you use often is it's not just about success, but it's about significance. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think we can have success, right? And then really where that becomes valuable is when we can share it or help others on their path or um, do something that benefits more than just ourselves. Mm hmm. Yeah, it's almost like and I've never had a near death experience like you've had. So this is going to mean more coming from you than it would for me. But I imagine in that moment, you start thinking about your life and wondering what what would live on past you. And if you experience personal success, but that goes when you go, then what's really the the deeper purpose of that? Right, 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 right. Yeah. And I think it just a lot gave me permission to say, OK, everybody's entitled an opinion. Society can look at it a certain way, but um, society dies when I die. So I'm more concerned about what gets me excited and what I want to do and less concerned about what society thinks I should be doing or becoming or chasing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Your focus on your values and on what matters becomes much more central, yes. much more narrow. Yeah. So Definitely. obviously you survived, which is wonderful. Sounds like there were no fatalities. Were there any injuries from the crash? Um, not really, not anything really worth mentioning. So that's a blessing too. I mean, the police called me a few weeks after the accident and could not rebuild a scenario where I lived, let oh alone survive. So it was pretty bizarre. That's absolutely incredible. So you have this major, major accident, walk away unharmed. And then in the days and weeks following what happened in your life? Yeah, you know, um, I cared a lot less and a lot more if that makes any sense whatsoever. Mm. Um, everything was magical because everything was a bonus moment that I almost didn't get to experience. So I was just grateful for all of it where I think before I tried to avoid pain or the lows or whatever. And afterwards you just learn to accept that's part of life. And you realize that actually there's some beauty in those moments as well. Um, 2019 became the big year of the bucket list for me. So I started making a list of things I wanted to see, do and experience should my life end prematurely, like it almost did. Um, that got me allowed to be creative again and just be like, why not? Why not? Why not? Let's try it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's almost like this sense of carefreeness or maybe some of the pressure being taken off because you have this time that you maybe couldn't have had or shouldn't have had. I don't want to say yeah. shouldn't have in the sense that the accident should have been worse, but that, that was a possibility is that you didn't have that. So was 2019 when you decided to climb Mount Everest? Yeah. So actually 2020. So in 2020, I was turning 40. I was looking at my list of things that I wanted to do and climb a mountain was on the list. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to climb a mountain for my 40th birthday. And that would be a great way to launch this next decade. And so I asked friends that were into mountaineering, if you could climb one mountain in the whole world, what would it be? And they came up with a mountain named Ama de Blom, which if you watched a movie by Paramount Pictures, it's the move, it's the mountain in the logo. Oh, interesting. And all the stars okay. circle around. I'm like, okay, I'll go climb that because then every time I go to a movie, I can be like, I climb that mountain. That's pretty cool. And so I was training for Ama de Blom and then COVID struck. Right. Oh, so now I'm a homeschool teacher to all my kids. And one of my kids was struggling with his math homework. And I'm like, listen, buddy, we do hard things. We've got this. And he mm -hmm. looks at me and he goes, if we do hard things, 
Why are you climbing a mountain called I'm a dumb blonde instead of a real <laughs> mountain like Mount Everest? Wow. Like I'm a de blonde, honey, not I'm a dumb blonde. But thank you. Cute. <laughs> so he did. Like he, we looked at Everest and he went to bed and I realized I was still looking at Everest. And I'm like, why not? Why not climb Everest? If Everest is the hardest mountain in the whole world and he thinks that he thinks it's the hardest mountain in the whole world, I'm going to climb it and show him that whatever our heart is, we can summit. So that's how I started on the pursuit of Everest. I hired a coach to help me train. And that coach gave me a book about becoming an uphill athlete. And in that book, there was a lady who got a Guinness world record for doing something in the Alps. And I just remember calling my coach, telling him like, I could have done that. Like I can suffer. And if I got a Guinness world record, my kids would actually think I'm cool. And my coach <laughs> kind of laughed it off. And he's like, I'll think of something then. I'm like, okay, cool. But you know, I'm not doing the weird things that people do to get in that record book. Like I don't need to grow pumpkins or speed eat hot dogs or anything crazy. He's like, no worries. So a few weeks later, he calls me back and he's like, Jen, I have the perfect world record for you. I'm like, okay. He's like, I think you should be the first female to climb the seven second summits, which at mm. the time was like, sounded like a tongue twister. I didn't even know what he's talking about. I'm like, okay, what's that? And he's like, well, it's the second highest point on each of the seven continents. It's harder than the first seven. It's only been done by one male. You'd be the first female to do it. And think about it, seven continents, seven mountains, seven children. It sounds like a jackpot. I'm like <laughs> it does. Let's check it out and see what happens. So that's how that pursuit started. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. It's crazy. That's incredible. So seven second summits, so seven mountains on seven different continents. And how much time did it take you to climb each of those seven summits? Well, each mountain was different, right? So mm -hmm. some like the sh quickest one was Mount Kenya that took a day to climb. Um, and the longest one, I think it was actually Mount Logan, which is the second highest point for North America. That one took us a couple of weeks. Mm -hmm. I think it's amazing that you have this conversation with your son. You said it was. And yeah. there's first you give him that challenge. You say, no, we do things that are hard. And he kind of takes that challenge and puts it back in your court, well, why aren't you doing this thing that I perceive to be hard? And rather than shying away from it or providing excuses, I think that's the the tendency for a lot of us. We look at what someone else is doing and maybe it's connected to something that we want to do, but we start offering excuses as to why we can't. And you certainly could have done that, but instead you said, no, you know what? I'm going to give him the best practical lesson that yes, we do hard things. And you went and did that. So you climbed Everest first, right? And then you went and you um, did these. Yeah. So Everest, I actually did Ama de Blom first. And oh, then I okay. did That's two right. of, I did two of the, um, I did Ojos del Salado in Mount Kenya. And then I did Everest because mountains are climbed during certain times of the year. I see. So you okay. always climb Everest in May. So I climbed Ama de Blom in October Ojos del Salado in December, Mount Kenya in February, and then I went to climb Mount Everest in May. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So yeah. Wow, that's a lot more mountains than I've ever climbed. So there that's you go. Yeah. Very impressive. And what did you learn from those experiences? No, oh, I learned a ton, right? That's why I wrote a book. You write a book when you have a ton of stuff that you learn. So the book Break Proof Seven Strategies to Build Resilience and Achieve Your Life Goals. What I do is I take individuals to each climb. And then we talk about lessons that I've learned on that particular climb that apply to your own climb 
in your physical and metaphorical life, depending on if you're climbing real mountains or mountains metaphorically. And, Mm. um, you know, one of the main lessons I think I learned was big mountains take big teams. Mm. I think a lot of us have these big goals and we don't realize like to have those goals come to life. It takes a big team to make that come to life. And so the bigger the goal, the bigger the team. And if you start running out of energy or you start like starting to compromise on your goal, instead of compromising, I encourage you to stop back and say like, who else can help? Because Mm -hmm. that will lighten your load and allow you to go further. Yeah. A friend told me one time and I actually quote him often, but he said, if you want to run fast, run alone. If you want to run far, run with someone else. Yeah. 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 Mm Mm-hmm. So what keeps most people from asking for that help that they need to reach their goals? You know, I think sometimes we don't know where to find it, right? Like it's just easier to not ask for help and just to call it quits. It takes work to ask for help. It takes vulnerability to ask for help to say like, Hey, I took on this thing and it's too much, or I need assistance to get out of this. And do you have any ideas or whatever? Um, so I think it's embracing that vulnerability and then allowing other people to be a part of your journey. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And as you mentioned before, this is true in your life as well, because when you decided that you were going to start climbing, you hired a coach that worked with you, probably still have people who are helping you working with you to achieve your goals. And so it's not even something that you graduate from in the sense that you reach a point where you no longer need help. In fact, I would imagine the more that you're doing, the bigger impact you're trying to have, the more help that you need. Oh, most definitely. Yeah. And different kinds of help, right? Like if you're going to go into a different, like I wasn't a mountaineer, so I needed to hire somebody that was so that I could learn from them and shorten my learning curve. And when I started to get into climbing, the first person I told about it was not my mom because my mom would have shot down that idea and developed like planted a lot of guilt or a lot of like, what are you doing into my brain? I needed to wait to tell her until I had a stronger foundation that could come to her with a conversation and say like, no, actually I'm doing this. And I Mm -hmm. researched it and I have friends that are this and blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, no, that's so good. So when you, well, I'm going to ask that in a bit, but I'm going to stay on the book here for a minute. So in addition to what we were just talking about, this idea of asking for help, being vulnerable, what's something else that you talk about in the book that above everything else really stands out to you or rises to the top as far as what you, what you teach about or communicate about in the book that's important to you? Yeah. You know, I think it goes along the lines of vulnerability is wave your flag. Like we love to wave our flags at the top of mountains. You always see somebody at a mountaintop with a flag in their hand, right? Like I made Mm -hmm. it here I am. But I think the real ticket in life is learning how to wave your flag on the whole journey. Hmm. Okay. So even when you have to turn around, even when you're at base camp, even when things aren't going well, when you wave your flag, you're letting the world know, like, here's where I'm at. Here's what I need. Here's how I can help. Mm -hmm. And that allows other people to come together and help you bring your goal to life. So for me, for example, I didn't want to share my journey until I was done. I wanted to have the world record and then talk about it. But one of my girlfriends convinced me to share it along the path because then she could follow along because she wasn't going to go to the places that I'm going to visit. Mm -hmm. I'm like, okay, fair enough. So I put on there that I was pursuing this world record. And then randomly a charity reached out to me once. They oh, said, wow. Hey, are you going to Kenya soon? I'm like, Oh, it's on my list, but I wasn't doing it anytime soon. Why? What's going on? They're like, well, we actually raised money to 
donate a ambulance to a charity over there. And we would like to save the money and not send an individual over there to make it happen. So if you're going, we'd like to partner with you if you'd be open to it and help us do this thing. Well, of course, I'm going to help you do that thing. That's an amazing thing to help and be a part of, right? Mm -hmm. So because I shared where I was, it allowed another place to plug in and say like, hey, can you help us? And then they got to help me because they had people on the ground in Kenya that knew climbers, right? And knew like what organization I should work with and different things like that. So when you are willing to wave your flag on the whole journey, you start attracting things that are going to help you get to the top. Mm -hmm. And I imagine a big piece of that is waving the flag along your journey, not necessarily to attract attention to yourself, but more so attracting attention to what you're doing and the cause that you're trying to serve. And I think that's inviting for people in the sense of like someone heard about what you were doing and they wanted to partner with you in that. And you've probably found more opportunities to partner with people along the way because of this initiative that you have, which is the significance and not success, the waving your flag, breaking through, climbing mountains, all of these things that we've talked about to this point. Definitely. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love that. Well, as you think back on your journey over the past now six years since the the car accident in 2018, what do you feel like has changed the most about you? Um. Yeah. So I'm coming up on that five year anniversary in like a couple of weeks, right? Uh, I would say that just I would tell my younger self to have more fun. Mm. I think I made life so serious before, mm. and after the accident, I realized like it doesn't have to be this serious. I can still accomplish things and have a lot more fun along the way. So one of the things I talk about is like, once you commit to the commitment, right? So once I decided I was climbing Everest, I was climbing Everest. I wasn't using energy to like debate whether I was going to climb Everest or not, right? That decision had been made. So now I was using energy on how do I make it fun? Who do I want to climb with? Like, what do I want this experience to mean and be and look like? And when we allow ourselves to commit to what we're doing, now we can use our energy to make it more enjoyable. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's important, especially as I think about kind of this tension between embracing the pain and then also looking for ways to make it fun. I don't know if those two things need to be mutually exclusive. Obviously, there are parts of any goal, whether it's training to climb a mountain or training for a race or building a business from the ground up, there are going to be parts of that that suck. There's no way around it. But that doesn't mean that you can't also look for ways to enjoy it more than you would otherwise. Maybe that's training with a friend. Maybe that's gamifying it, giving yourself rewards. Or I think there's all kinds of different ways that you can do that. But but I feel like it's important to point out that both of those things can exist at the same time and probably should exist if you're going to gain any meaningful traction. Definitely. Mm -hmm. Well, obviously, you've had a lot of really unique experiences over the last five years. I'll end with this question and then I'll give you a chance to talk more about where people can pre-order the book or connect with you. But assuming that most people will not have a, a near-death experience, most people probably won't make the choice to climb several mountains or even one mountain like you have. But what is one additional piece of advice that you can give them based on the experience that you have had through going through those things? Yeah, you know, I'll bring you to a story that kind of highlighted part of my journey. When I was on the mountain and I brushed my teeth, I'd be out there looking at the universe being like, everything's amazing. Look how beautiful this place is, blah, 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 blah. I came home 
from expedition and I'm brushing my teeth in the bathroom and I started picking myself apart, right? Like, oh my gosh, I have to dye my hair. I need to pluck an eyebrow. Like all the things that you do when you're looking at yourself in the mirror, probably especially as a female. And I realized, why am I being mean to myself? Like the world's hard enough. So I started doing this thing when I do my toothbrush, I call it toothbrush talk. Every single time I brush my teeth, I'm only allowed to say positive things to myself. And I really think that like every day we need to wake up and every night before we go to bed, we need to start our day with positive input and we need to end our day with positive input about ourselves. The world's going to come at us. We cannot come at ourselves and live a great fulfilling life. So if there's one thing that everybody leaves with is be your own best cheerleader. Mm. That's so good. Yeah, it's hard to accidentally drift into positivity, but it's very easy to not be aware of all of the negativity that you're consuming consciously or subconsciously on a regular basis. So I think that's a a great place to end. And thank you for sharing that. Jen, this was a really good conversation. I enjoyed it a lot. If people want to learn more about you, if they want to pre-order the book or read about some of the other things that you're doing and working on, where could people find you? Yeah. So please check out my website, jendrummond.com. Um, you can order the book on Amazon, Breakproof, Seven Strategies to Build Resilience. Reach out on my social channels and say hi and let me know how you found me and I'd be happy to interact. So thank you. Yeah, sounds great. And thanks again for your time today. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you to BetterHelp for sponsoring this episode. Recently, I was feeling overwhelmed with all of the responsibilities I was juggling in my work and personal life. I signed up for BetterHelp and scheduled my first online therapy session. To be honest, I was a little nervous about meeting with a therapist online, but I was matched with a great therapist who offered me a fantastic experience. She helped me tremendously in our first session, and I noticed an instant difference in my mental health. BetterHelp is the world's largest therapy service, and it's 100% online. With BetterHelp, you can tap into a network of over 30,000 licensed and experienced therapists who can help you with a wide range of issues. To get started, you just answer a few questions about your needs and preferences in therapy. That way, BetterHelp can match you with the right therapist from their network. Then you can talk to your therapist however you feel comfortable, whether it's via text, chat, phone, or video call. You can also message your therapist at any time and schedule live sessions whenever it's convenient for you. If you're matched with a therapist who isn't the right fit for any reason, you can switch to a new therapist at no additional charge. With BetterHelp, you get the same professionalism and quality you expect from in-office therapy, but with a therapist who is custom-picked for you, you also get more scheduling flexibility and a more affordable price, especially when you get 10% off your first month by signing up at betterhelp.com MFRP. That's betterhelp.com MFRP. Check it out and sign up today.